Hi, it's Mika here, the founder of Urban Remedy. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here at Urban Remedy, we love sharing exciting news with our listeners, and I'm proud to announce our newest Pure Sunshine 100% organic cold press orange juice and our newest value size rainbow and vegan Caesar salads with 60% more salad per container. For all of our US-based listeners, also be sure to listen until the end of this episode for a special offer. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Today on the You Are Love podcast, I'm speaking to Dr. Ephraim Korngold, OMD, licensed acupuncturist. He has 50 years of experience as a pioneering educator, author, and acupuncturist. He co-authored one of my all-time favorite books, Between Heaven and Earth, A Guide to Chinese Medicine, that's found its way into the hands of 300,000 readers. He developed the curriculum for one of the first acupuncture schools, and he practices acupuncture and herbal medicine at Chinese Medicine Works in San Francisco. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm really excited to dive deep into traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and I couldn't be more excited to have Ephraim Korngold as my guest today. So thank you so much, Ephraim, for being here. Happy to be here. And I'm just going to start out by saying that when I was going to acupuncture school and getting my master's in Chinese medicine Between Heaven and Earth was one of the books that I had to read. And I remember reading it. And this is your book that you did with your wife, Harriet. I remember reading it and it really touching me and really opening me up to a different kind of thought pattern of Chinese medicine, especially the five element and the connection to nature. But At that point in my life, I was young and I feel like I didn't fully understand it. But the last few years, I go back to your book a lot and um, it's really touched me in my life. And I feel like you so beautifully captured kind of the problems and the solutions to a lot of the things in the modern world, which relate to the simplicity of just reconnecting to nature and our inherent connection to nature. So I, your book is absolutely brilliant and I love it so much. Thank you. Seems like uh, a lot of people have got uh, great inspiration from the book and I don't mean to brag, but it's since it was published in 1991, it's been translated into eight languages and 300,000 copies have been sold. So it seems to have struck a chord in uh, many Western people, which is what we hoped for when we wrote the book. And it's so interesting because maybe it's even more relevant now than it even was without knowing it back then, because, you know, we are, you know, with the modern world and technology, I think um, it's so easy to get out of that harmony and to be in a state of disconnection with, you know, work and all of the apps and, you know, kids wanting to play video games. And, and so it seems like the message is even more important now. Yeah. I'd love to start out. Just can you share a little bit about your journey into Chinese medicine? It's in your book, but I'd love to hear just how you got interested in it and and your your and Harriet's exploration into Chinese medicine from the beginning. Sure. So in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, we were part of a, a collective of people, like-minded people. And one of the areas of interest to us was, was healing. 
was medicine. Many of us in our in our community and communities, which covered the whole country at that time, was how to take care of ourselves and not rely upon uh, conventional Western medicine, particularly uh, when we lived in communities that were in the wilderness or in places where we didn't have access to conventional medical care. So we had to learn a lot about diet and nutrition and plants and plant medicine, ways of being, of being treating illness and of being healthy that in a way predated modern Western medicine. So when we became aware of what was happening at that time in post-revolutionary China, we got very interested and um, excited about how Chinese traditional medicine of China was being used by the new, the new China to create a medical system, a healthcare system that could support the Chinese population. You may re recall that, or if you don't, Right after the revolution in China, many uh, doctors, like the majority of professional doctors in China, uh, left China and moved to Taiwan and the United States and other countries. And so the healthcare system in China became very dysfunctional. There weren't, there weren't enough physicians. So Mao, at the time, decided that the society needed to make use of the knowledge of traditional medicine to compensate for the loss of medical, trained medical professionals. So they instituted a program called the Barefoot Doctors Program. And what that was essentially was inviting people from villages all over China, because at that time, the majority of the population of China was still in rural parts of the country, not in cities. It's, it's changed, now it's reversed. But back then, so people were invited from villages to come and to participate in educational programs that lasted anywhere from six months to three years, in which they would be educated to use both traditional medicine and modern Western medicine to provide healthcare to their communities. But the, the emphasis was on traditional medicine. And we thought at the time, when we learned about this, this is a very exciting, uh, to us, very exciting project that we thought we felt had much significance for, for our own society, for our own culture, which had become so dependent on modern technology. And that in fact, even though modern Western medicine is amazingly adept and effective for rescuing people in emergencies, it seemed to us, and it still does appear to me, 
that conventional medicine is not very competent at treating most of the ailments that human beings suffer, uh, which are chronic and degenerative in, in nature. So while if I have a, a broken arm or I have a severe bacterial infection or an ulcer and I need surgery or I have a gallbladder attack, so these things are, are very, very well handled with modern, tech, modern medical techniques, and we appreciate it. However, as a, as a good friend of mine who is a colleague often says, uh, he's a physician, that when he was trained, he was trained to think of all illness and all dysfunction as an emergency. So Western medicine is very, very good for emergency care, for, for rescuing, for putting out fires, but not so good for um, helping people to become and to sustain health, which is, in our view, the greatest protection against illness and disease. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So... Chinese traditional medicine, having developed for much longer than Western scientific medicine uh, over several millennia, empirically, you know, learned a great deal about the nature of disease, the nature of illness, and the nature of people, and using the technology that was at hand, which is mostly relying on plants and minerals and animal substances and and techniques that were developed over thousands of years that we now call acupuncture, they were able to very effectively not only treat severe illnesses, including cancer, this was like amazing. So... One of the thing, one of the books that influenced us uh, when we decided to write our book was a book called um, "High Tech Low Touch." So this was a kind of way of depicting what modern society or modern culture had come to that we rely so much on technology and machines and all kinds of devices to assist us that we've forgotten how to assist ourselves, to take care of ourselves without these um, devices to support us. And yet what Chinese medicine teaches us is that we actually do have the power within and in the natural world within which we live to actually care for ourselves in a way that helps us to be as healthy as we can be and to live a robust and satisfying and productive life. I love that. And that is so important. And I, I notice that um, whenever I'm treating somebody and I talk about the innate capacity that the body has to heal, it brings so much hope to people. And it's almost like a remembrance because so many people have, nobody's ever said that to them before that, your body really has an innate capacity to heal. And just the 
hope in that message or just the kind of what it can light up in somebody is can be so profound because most people that are dealing with a chronic illness, you know, feel really hopeless and have tried all the pills and tried all the things and, and really kind of either didn't know or lost faith in their body's capacity to heal, especially going through um, the Western medical system and going, you know, from specialist to specialist or people that don't believe their symptoms or, or whatever the story is. So I think that message is so critical. And can you talk a little bit about the philosophy of um, the doctor as a gardener and kind of our connection to nature and and how that relates to Chinese medicine versus um, looking at the parts of the body or looking at the body as a mechanic? Yeah, so the first two chapters in our book were devoted to explaining to ourselves and to our readers what we felt were the important distinctions between the Western medical approach to health and illness and the Chinese traditional medical approach. So we, the symbol for Western medicine was that the body is seen as, an, as a machine and actually, we still think of the body that way. In fact, the more somebody has quoted recent, I quoted recently as saying that um, the more that we try to make computers and other machines think and function like human beings, the more we become like machines. But uh, the philosophy both the philosophy about life and the philosophy of medicine and Chinese culture developed over a very long period of time. And there was never ever a a belief that human beings were somehow separate from their environment, that they they were independent of the life around them. So, much of what's discussed in some of the early Chinese medicine texts, like the the Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine, is how we are totally governed and influenced by nature, by the cycles of the seasons, by the cycles of the day, by by changes in climate. Great emphasis is put on where you were born and where you grew up, what part of the country are you from? Because people in different parts of the country who are, who are in different environments, they have different diets, they're uh, subject to different climates, they develop different diseases. And it's not because they're different human beings. Human beings are the same, but uh, in essence, but we develop in distinct and particular ways, uh, depending on the environment in which we we grow. So that's a very, very important uh, fundamental truth in Chinese philosophy and, and therefore in Chinese medicine, that where you are and how you fit or don't fit into the context of your environment and environment doesn't mean just your physical environment it means your social environment your cultural environment your family environment your uh the climate 
in places where you grow up. If you grow up in Hawaii, it's going to be very different than when you grow up in San Francisco or in Minnesota, where they have really, really cold winters. So these these um, are not subtle. These are um, huge influences on how we develop and therefore how we become ill and how we recover from illness and how we become healthy and maintain health and everything. So, so the view is, is what we would have to call, using a hackneyed term, holistic, meaning that every, every aspect of our lives is significant and that you can't really separate yourself from what's going on in the world around you and vice versa. That is what's going on in the world around you is, is being affected by, by you, not just as an individual, but, but all of us. So everything we do is a response to our environment and everything that happens in our environment is a response to what we do. And that, you know, we we're very aware of that now in terms of climate catastrophe. You know, this is something that humans have contributed to quite, quite clearly in a very short period of time. We're talking about, uh, you know, maybe 300 years or 200 years. So we have a big impact and then conversely, those changes that we've wrought in the world are having a huge impact upon us. But from the Chinese point of view, how could it be otherwise? It couldn't possibly be otherwise. So by learning to observe and um, experiment with the environment that is by, by acutely observing how things change uh, according to the season, according to the climate, according to everything around us, we get an understanding actually of what's happening inside of us. Because the, the tenet, the basic tenet of Chinese medical thought is that each human being is a microcosm of his or her environment. The beautiful simplicity of that thought, because, you know, even if you look, we live, you know, you and I both live in the Bay Area. And so it's such a great example of the inherent understanding or the uh, wisdom that nature has. Because if you look around, I mean, you're you're in San Francisco, I'm out in West Marin, but you know, and you look at what's growing like in the spring and summer, it's real. it gets really hot where I live. It's a little bit cooler where you live. And you look at what's grown seasonally and it's obviously cooling foods like watermelon and lettuce and herbs. And then right now we're starting to see more like butternut squash and sweet potatoes. And so just by eating what naturally is grown in your region or your environment, you don't even really have to think about it. You just have to eat locally and it naturally will correspond to what your body is needing. And I love, I love that because all of this is complex. It's like a it's, it's complex, but really at its essence, it's so beautifully simple. And the wisdom that 
the natural environment has and just looking at it in, in simple ways, like going to bed when it gets dark outside or waking up when it's light or, you know, and just um, that harmony that we can mimic in our own daily lives. There's this sweet simplicity that um, I feel like we've kind of are out of touch with, or most of us are. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And one of the experiences that so many of us have had in the last three years during the pandemic is that of, you know, social and physical isolation. But one of the interesting parts of that was that we discovered that going outside or being in nature was a really good thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Critical. Yeah. That, critical. That being enclosed in an artificial box uh, for too long is, is very detrimental, not just to our physical well-being, but to our mental and emotional health. So uh, there was actually a great emphasis during that period when, when everybody was, you know, freaked out and trying to figure out what's, what is the nature of this sickness and how do we treat it? Uh, we were reduced. <laughs> we were reduced to relying on on sort of, you know, very age old traditional methods of of care, and and they helped. So I think, you know, I think that we shouldn't forget that. We should we should remember that you know when push came to shove, a lot of simple things that we did uh, are what enabled us to, to feel safe, to be secure, and also not simply not ever to get sick, but to be able to recover. And that really is another crucial difference between um, modern Western medical philosophy I should say, in traditional Chinese medical philosophy, is that the emphasis on sickness is much greater in Western medicine and than it is in Chinese traditional medicine. Chinese traditional medicine, the emphasis is how are you going to recover, right? So, and as you pointed out, there are so many people that, that we see as Chinese medicine doctors who've been through the mill and they've been to so many doctors and they've tried so many remedies and they're not, they don't feel helped. They don't feel like they're being helped. And, uh, or they're, they were helped for a time, but they maybe the drugs or the treatments that they're getting are actually making them worse. You know, they're developing new problems, what we call iatrogenic disorders caused by medicine, not relieved by medicine. So, and there's a big important issue in particularly in Chinese herbal medicine of thinking about adverse effects. That is, and one of the reasons why in Chinese medicine, we have a tradition of using many plants or many herbal ingredients together to make a formula, what we call in the West, we call that polypharmacy, using many drugs at the same time. But in China, there's been a great deal of time, you know, thousands of years to 
observe what the effects are of combining uh, different medicinal agents and learning what side effects or adverse effects can be produced by, by the wrong combinations or learning what to do uh, when you give one medicine to treat one stage of an illness and then there's, if you take it for too long or too much, you develop other symptoms and then you have to adapt to that and change your treatment. So, and this is something that, uh, again, I think distinguishes Chinese traditional medicine, particularly herbal medicine from Western medicine. And I love in your book how you talked about, um, and I think this will resonate with so many people, that people used to have a general practitioner or a primary care physician that was their doctor that they would have a relationship with that would really understand the whole cosmology of who they are in terms of like their stress levels and their diet. And I mean, Western medicine doesn't uh, put a lot of emphasis on diet, but how as um, they're became all of these specialists. And so you'd be sent to like a GI doctor if you had stomach issues, or you'd be sent to, you know, endocrinologist, if you had a thyroid issue, we've kind of lost that connection where there's one practitioner that's really fully understanding the patients as a real person and all the facets and aspects of that person and really understanding, you know, those parts to understand how to really treat them as as an individual, you know, rather than just pushing them out into all, to all these other practitioners and how we've kind of lost that. And that can kind of make people feel alone or kind of misunderstood on some level. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, (laughs) one of the things that seems to be increasingly prevalent among Western trained doctors is a lack of curiosity. It's, because the training, the education is that you've learned enough to deal with this particular constellation of symptoms or disorders, and you don't have to search any further. And if you don't, if you don't know what to do or you don't know what this problem is, well, you refer that person to the specialist who will. And I totally uh, relate to what you're saying because uh, over the, now it's 50 years that we've been in practice, many of our patients come to us to a large degree because we think about everything with them. You know, we talk to them and people ask us, well, what should I ask my doctor for? What questions should I ask? Who should I see? And, you know, as you point out, there used to be a family doctor who sort of held you and was aware and stayed in touch, not only with you, but with all the other healers and helpers and doctors that were actually part of your team. So there was some person who kind of held the big picture. And that doesn't exist anymore. We, there's a, you know, in Western medicine, there's family family medicine, but the people that go into family medicine are the minority of those who are graduating from medical schools. 
um, not the majority. So curiosity, you know, we say curiosity killed the cat, but in, yeah. Chinese, in Chinese medicine, curiosity is what enables the observant and, and um, interested doctor to learn enough, more than enough about his patient to really help them. And because, so we say it, we say in our book that the Western medical approach to the body is the body's like a machine. And so it's a very, what we call mechanistic view. And in fact, when you read about, when you read medical studies or when you read about how Western medicine thinks about diseases or dysfunctions in the body, they always talk about the mechanism. There's a mechanism. So that's like, this is the, what we call the industrial model of medicine. You know, there has to be a, there's a broken part or there's a broken function. And if we can just, you know, fix that part or fix that particular function, everything will work. But we're neglecting to think about all of the interrelationships of all of these parts and all of these functions. And so Chinese medicine, we say, is like the Chinese doctor is like the gardener. And what that means, what that suggests is that we look at everything. We look at you. We try to think about well, what's going on inside you, but with, but in a context in your life, what's going on in your life? Um, are you rich? Are you poor? Are you are you a person of color? Are you a white person? Do you have privilege? Do you have poverty? Are you a kid? Are you an elder person? Where do you live? What kind of a house do you live in? Are you lonely? All these things uh, are so important because they influence, they fundamentally and profoundly influence how somebody becomes unwell and how somebody can become well. So these, this is a very, very profound, and you might say a simple sort of uh, realization but yet it's a profound thing to uh, not just think about treating symptoms or helping people feel better, right? There's a thousand ways to feel better and many ways of feeling better, but is that the same as feeling well or becoming well? So I think that's an important distinction. Uh, Western medicine is, is, very focused on people feeling better. That is to reducing their, their symptomatic distress uh, through surgery, through medication, through uh, even things like physical therapy, which is a kind, has a kind of a, a mechanical structural approach that underlies it, as opposed to, for example, in Chinese medicine, there's a system of body work called tuina, which tuina means push pull. So, you know, this is this is a very this evokes. Well, what does the practitioner do? Do he he or she pushes and pulls on you all over to um, unblock 
from the Chinese perspective, Chinese medicine perspective, who unblock the qi and the blood, because that's the basis of health. The basis of health is is free flowing circulation of all of the fluids and blood and qi and um, and air and everything in the body. So that's seeing the body as as an organism or as an entity that is basically governed by things that flow, things that move, right? And so where where there is a lack of movement or a lack of flow, there is a concern that that could lead to dysfunction, to degeneration, and to disease. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, and it's not like we don't think about that in Western culture. We think a lot, well, we should exercise. We should move. Um, one One of the problems with people as we age is we stop moving. We're tired or we have painful joints or our muscles become weak. So, so and it's it's not that comfortable to move so the very thought of exercise is anathema you know so we start moving less and less and the less you move the more stagnant and congested everything in your body becomes and that's not a good thing <laughs> that leads that leads to more discomfort not less so you know, I, I'm sure that you you help elderly people in your practice too, but one of the most important things, and in and, and Western medicine too, it's becoming uh, more, um, should I say, of concern and emphasis, particularly now we have a new specialty in Western medicine called geriatrics. Just like we have pediatrics for kids, now we have geriatrics for the elderly, which makes sense because old people and little people are not exactly like young people. So they require different different approach, different understanding. And one of the most important things about, about helping elderly people is keeping them mobile. So when you're moving, then everything inside you is also moving. Uh, and that really is the, the fundamental basis of acupuncture and Twina and other physical, you know, Chinese medicine related therapies is to keep things, get things moving, get them unstuck. You know, and it's really interesting to just, I want to add something to that is that that could also be related to your emotions because so many times with my own life or, you know, people that I treat, you know, so many of us hold in our emotions, like our anger, our sadness, or our grief and stagnation can come from that as well. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Chinese medicine is that, it looks at all those different facets, you know, from exercise, if you're moving or, you know, if you're not expressing your emotions and you're holding things in, there's so many different types of, of energy blockages. 
And that's part of what you were saying is really about looking at the whole person and really understanding them as an individual, like what are they going through in their emotional life or their spiritual life? And that's, that's something that is such a critical part of, um, Chinese medicine. And when I was in acupuncture school, um, I had actually two Western medical doctors, MDs in my class. And it was so interesting because, you know, after two years, they, they said that it was way more difficult to be in acupuncture school because in Western medicine, it was really memorization. And it's like, here's the functions of the liver and here's how you treat migraines or whatever it is. But in Chinese medicine, it's so much more of an art because there's so many more ways to treat a person based on all the the five elements and all the different things to look at, you know, in terms of diagnosis and understanding the person as a, as the whole being. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'm a little, you know, not that I'm concerned, but when you say Chinese medicine is an art, then people are thinking, oh, well, Western medicine is a, is a science and Chinese medicine is an art. And but, but the fact is that a good physician, Western, Eastern, or somewhere in between, uh, young or old, being a good doctor is being a, it's a craft. It's something, it's not just something you learn, it's something that you develop. It's something that you you hone your your abilities, you hone your um, your talent, you hone your tools, you and to the degree that you be that you are, as I said before, curious about things that you don't know about. Uh, and then make you think about, well, how can I use the tools that I have to solve this problem? I haven't encountered this problem before quite the way it appears. How can, how can I think about it in a new way or in a creative way that enables me to use my tools flexibly, creatively, appropriately, and effectively? That's an art. That's the art of medicine. That's the art and the craft of medicine. That's so true. Thank you for saying that. I totally (laughs) agree with you. That's so true. Yes. It's just like anything that you do, right? You want to be an expert and understand all the different pieces and aspects of whatever you're doing. And, you know, that's why you can go to a regular primary care physician and see three different people and have three different experiences and the same with Chinese medicine because, you know, everybody practices differently. And it's, I think it's great because there's some people that are great for certain people and not great for other people. And, you know, it's like finding, finding who, who you fit with. Exactly. So, but, but from the Western point of view, if you've been through medical school, you've come out of the training, every doctor is the same. You all have the same knowledge. You should be able to all treat the same thing and the same people Uh, doesn't shouldn't matter right but then doctors invariably discover what they're actually good at and what they're not so good at and every kind of doctor or healer has what we call difficult patients you know patients who are mysterious or they're they seem so complex how can I possibly help this person? 
or you get or we get we do we're just people we get frustrated by our lack of skill our lack of knowledge or lack of understanding uh and we tend to to want to give up oh i wish this patient would go find somebody else who's better equipped than me but i'm not going to tell him to go away um but at that at that juncture we have the no matter what kind of a doctor you are you have the choice of saying oh uh what am i missing what am i not seeing what am i not considering uh my job my mission is to be helpful is to help help doesn't always mean cure you know i had a uh, years ago we had a teacher uh uh, American naturopathic doctor named Dr. Christopher. He was uh, an herbalist, a very famous herbalist. Um, and this was in the, we got to know him in the late 60s and the early 70s. And he had a famous saying, he said, He said, there's no such thing as cure. He said, the only thing you can cure is a ham. He said, the reality is that you can help people to be, to be well, to be, to be healthier, but there's no such thing as cure. That life is, you can't cure life, right? There's no cure for life. So, um, you know, the joke is that life is a is a chronic degenerative disease, but <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's not about cure. We think about cure in the sense that we want to alleviate suffering, and we want to. So Chinese medicine really um, concerned with this this objective or mission, which is in order for a person a human being to really develop to really evolve to really become who they want to become you have to eliminate their suffering suffering becomes an obstacle to growth an obstacle to development and i don't just mean pain i mean the pain of pain the pain of not being happy the pain of not feeling alive or the pain of not ever feeling like you have enough juice to do what you want to do or what you need to do so our you know the chinese philosophy says there are three levels of medicine the first level is the le is the level of symptoms and and disease so your first job as a doctor is to treat the symptoms and help the person recover from the disease because if you don't do that they're going to be held back in life they're going to be thwarted their development is going to be retarded so we have to get those obstacles out of the way to help them get to a place where they don't feel or experience themselves as being limited as being unfree because of their of their illness so that's the first stage so when you do that then there's the second stage so the second stage 
is helping somebody to embody their their nature is to help them discover well who am i how am i where am i going in this in this life right and that's the second stage and then there's the third stage the third stage once you help people to recover from their suffering and now you've helped them to sort of understand who and how they are sort of where they fit in the matrix of their life and their history the next stage is to help them fulfill their destiny <laughs> right i mean that sounds like a big deal but it's not really because once you take suffering out of the way and you enable people to um, be able to kind of reflect on where they came from and where they think they'd like to go and you've helped to remove some of these blocks or obstructions whatever they are whether they're mental or physical or emotional spiritual then there's a sense of freedom there's a sense of that the future is open now that there are many possibilities and i get to decide um what direction i want to go and i get to to have a compass heading right and and i get to change it too <laughs> because life is always changing so we can't be fixed you can't always be fixed on the same direction because you know, you might run into a fallen tree or an earthquake or a landslide. You've got to be able to go around it to get to where you want to go, right? So these are all metaphors, but but the idea is you want to eliminate obstacles. And once you eliminate the obstacles, then people naturally, spontaneously become aware of what their purpose or mission in this life might be and then they know where to go and what a gift to be able to um guide people to that place because so many times you know people don't even know that those possibilities exist outside of the suffering you know so many people it's so easy to identify with your illness or your suffering and, and, and take that on as your identity. You know, I am somebody that has cancer and then that's really their identity and everything is around the cancer rather than the parts of them that are their true self, you know, so to be able to give people that opportunity to really find themselves and their passion and their purpose is such a huge gift. I love that. Yeah. And I think that one of the, mysterious and extraordinary things about acupuncture is that it seems to be able to um, enable people to feel like themselves. <laughs> you know, people often come to you and wonder or another, they say, well, I just don't feel like myself. And maybe they've, maybe they've never felt like themselves. And so acupuncture, it, it, uh, it, frees, it frees what's going on. It frees 
it opens up, it, it frees the body and the mind, it frees the person to reorganize themselves in a way that's much more integrated, much more intrinsically, we would say, you know, use the word balance. We don't really mean balance. What we mean is, is coherent. There's a sense of coherency. Oh, yes, that feels like me. You know, we always, we generally feel like we think we know who we are. We know what we feel like. And we don't think about it until until something goes wrong, until we have an injury or a pain. And all of a sudden, we think, oh, I have an arm. I have a hand. I have a wrist. I have a headache. And and when those things are, are alleviated, then the person says, oh, I feel like myself again. It's so true. And so many times it's in our own suffering and illness that is the bridge to finding that freedom or finding that, um, you know, who we truly are. I know, I, you know, probably the last time I saw you, I was going through my, my own thing during right after COVID where I was, you know, I lost so much weight and I, you know, I could hardly eat and I had tons of anxiety and it was the worst time of my, I mean, I, I feel like it was the worst time of my life, but that imbalance that I was having brought me to such a, a place that was such a gift because it brought me back to my understanding and, you know, back to the, what we were talking about, the tenets of Chinese medicine of the simplicity of getting back to living in harmony with nature and slowing down and, you know, slowly getting to feel, you know, being able to feel in my body and be able to, you know, it was the, it was going back to the simplicity of just being still and listening and feeling safe in my body and all of those things. And yeah, I mean, I think that it's so easy to especially in this day and age to lose ourselves. And, you know, a lot of people are on their computers all day, sitting under artificial light, eating artificial food and, and you know, not eating real food. And, 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 you know, it's kind of like what you wrote about in your book where you said, um, you know, with Christianity and, and um, that we separated ourselves from nature and almost looked at nature as, not an enemy, but um, something to conquer rather than understanding how to live in harmony with it and understanding the importance of that cosmology that we are nature and nature is us. And um, I feel like maybe that is the root cause of so many, um, so many chronic diseases that we have right now, because even if you look at our food system, you know, so many people are eating the standard American diet and they're all eating the same highly processed fast foods and um, that are sprayed with glyphosate and all these chemicals and toxins and not getting sunshine. And the, when you look down to the root of all of that, it's really that our food system and our medical system and you know, are what you were talking about with the climate, we're just so out of harmony um, with the natural cycles of, of nature that it creates this inherent imbalance. But Nika, given all of that, given all of those constraints, there are still simple things that people can do that uh, will counter those negative effects of, of our modern civilization. One of the things that I talk about with patients a lot is rhythm. 
So, you know, the way we live our, the way we're trained to live our lives in, in our educational system and in our, in our, our system of work is you wake up in the morning and you charge into the day and you keep charging until either you feel so tired that you have to take a nap or you have a second or third cup of coffee to keep you charging along. And then you go home and you collapse. And, and that's, that's not a rhythm. <laughs> we, as, as organisms, evolved to uh, be cognizant of and responsive to the rhythms of life that's going on around us. And that means simple things like you just pointed out, like night and day, like uh, hot and cold, like uh, spring and fall, um, and becoming aware that these cycles, these rhythms really have a, a profound effect on how we function and how we feel. And there are simple things to do about altering the rhythm of how you conduct yourself in your life day to day that actually can have hugely positive effects. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday who just moved here and he's, um, he's got a big job. He moved here for a big job and he's has a really big learning curve and he's very anxious about performing well and doing the right thing and be able to solve all these problems. And I said, oh, and he has a lot of indigestion. So I said to him, I said, so um, how many meals a day do you eat? He said, well, I try to eat three meals a day, but I'm often, you know, when I'm working, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm just shoving food down my throat, you know, to, you know, I'm hungry, I'm, but I'm still working. I said, look, I said, your body is not really designed to eat and digest while you're working. There are two sides of the nervous system, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. The sympathetic is the fight or flight. Everybody knows this. The parasympathetic people don't know as well. It's called the rest and digest system. So if you try to eat a meal, while you're working, particularly when you're in an anxious, high high intensity state, you're just not gonna. Your body's not gonna digest the food. This is not gonna happen. You're gonna have all kinds of problems, indigestion. So I said, so try this. I said, don't eat food, solid food when you're working. I said have a smoothie or have a glass of juice or, but if you want to eat something, I said, figure out how you can take 10 minutes, maybe 15 at the most and sit down and eat and then go back to work. And your digestive problems will go away. I guarantee it. Right. Is that Chinese medicine? Yes. That's Chinese medicine because what you're doing what you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do is to reacquaint him, this person, with the fact that cycles and rhythms 
are having a an adverse effect on his feeling of well-being and that it's not going to take very much effort on his part, not going to take hardly any time out of his busy day to sort of get back into a more natural, organic rhythm. The body is a rhythmic is a rhythmic entity. Everything in our bodies is working on cycles and rhythms all the time. And so, um, but the way that we have been educated and trained to live is not rhythmic. Uh, for some people are quite profound because nobody's ever said anything like that to them before. What? Rhythm? Uh, isn't this the way we're supposed to live? This is, you know, and so... Many people's rhythm is like waking up, rushing to work, dropping your kid off at school, getting to work, getting as much stuff done as you can, and then getting home, making dinner, getting your kids to sleep, <laughs> trying to go to bed, drinking a glass of wine. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it, there are simple solutions or tweaks and changes that you people made can make. Very, you said something really important because who's watching those people jump out of bed, hurry off to work? The kids. The children are watching them. They're being trained right now by watching their parents, who are the most important guides and models in their life, of how to conduct themselves. How to, This is the way you live life. So um, it starts very early. Anyway, that's a whole other that's a whole other discussion. But but Chinese medicine, you know, I really like people to read our book because I think it does. It does offer some very um, basic fundamental arguments about how to think differently about life. And oh, it's yeah, it's so amazing. I mean, really, I, I, I hope everybody can read it because I especially the first, you know, people that aren't familiar with Chinese medicine, especially the first few chapters, it's it just resonates so much with me to really, you know, really understand um, those simple basic principles that, you know, if you're not, you know, that we're not really taught in school, we're not really, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't understand any of that until, you know, I went to school and started studying Chinese medicine. And, and I remember being there and thinking, wow, I almost have to kind of brainwash myself to understand this, this viewpoint and understand how the organs in Chinese medicine are so different than in Western medicine and, you know, the connection. And it's such a beautiful, different way of, of looking at the body. Um, Cause I know we don't have a ton more time. I'd love to have you also just talk, just, I think people want to understand just the basics of how acupuncture works, like using needles um, in the body and how that fits in. I think an important lesson for all of us to get, and I have to keep getting it myself over and over, is this distinction between the way we imagine things are and the way they actually are. So this is captured in, in, the, in the saying, the map is not the territory, right? A map, which is a point of view or a system or philosophy, or religion, or a, a scientific principle. These are just aids to help you get to 
a place that you want to explore. And, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of us are relying on Google Maps now. But so the degree to which we rely on these uh, artificial uh, programs to tell us where to go and how to get there, we are becoming more and more disconnected from the actual world that we live in. So I don't know if you've experienced this. I have, and I know lots of people who have, getting lost using Google Maps because Google isn't really um, always accurate. Things, everything is changing. <laughs> you know, the roads are changing, the neighborhoods are changing. So the funniest story I know about this was about uh, some young Japanese tourists were in, in the Bay Area and they were following, they were going, I forget where they were going. Well, they were going to the beach or something and they were following Google Maps and they found that Google was telling them to drive right into the ocean. Oh, wow. <laughs> so Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine theories and Western medicine theories, they're just maps and they're useful maps. They're really good maps. And, but that's what I meant when I said that if, if you're a good doctor for somebody else or even for yourself, you have to real recognize that at a certain point, the map is not the territory. You have to just use your own eyes and ears and your own mind to figure out how to solve a problem by using your powers of observation and your powers of thinking and your powers of using your own physical body to manipulate yourself and other things. Anyway, so let's let's switch. You want to talk about acupuncture? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, just at, on a basic level, because I think there's people listening that have never tried acupuncture and don't really understand, you know, how we use needles and the, the, just kind of the basic principles. All right, so acupuncture and all of Chinese medicine is based on the on the principle of something called qi. And qi is the Chinese concept, really, of what it is that makes us alive. And so qi is this substance or this agent or, or potential or power. And it's, it's actually what gives us agency, what gives us the power to do anything is qi. So the whole world is suffused with chi. And chi is, we can't see it, you can't test for it, you can't taste it. You only know it by its, how it's manifested. And it's chi is always manifested in things that move. So things that move, things that change, are manifestations of chi. So acupuncture, specifically, is a method that has been developed over millennia to invigorate or activate the flow or the movement of chi, of this, this vital substance that we think in Chinese medicine is, is the thing or the, the power that makes everything else function. So we believe and we act as if there are 
pathways or called meridians or channels through which the chi flows. And these channels, this is a system, it's, a, it's another system of communication that connects and integrates all parts of the body, just like the vascular system or the nervous system or the lymphatic system. Um, it's another layer or another way that the body communicates with itself and with the outside world. So there are 14, what are called 14 primary channels or meridians. And along those, those pathways, there are acupuncture points that have been codified, as I said, over, you know, a couple thousand years at least to correspond to different organs or different organ systems or different functional systems. And each of those meridians corresponds or is associated with, with a functional system or network. And we give those networks or systems the names of the organs. So there's a liver meridian, a spleen meridian, a stomach meridian. So there are 14 meridians, each corresponding to a different functional network in the body just like the circulation of the blood and the heart is part of a functional network that delivers oxygen and nutrients to every part of the body. So this network that we're talking about delivers chi to every part of the body. It delivers this, this life-motivating uh, agency or power to every part of us mind, body, spirit, however you want to think of it, whatever makes us us. We can't be us without chi. And when chi is free-flowing, you have health. And health doesn't just mean the absence of symptoms. It means the ability to adapt, the ability to recover from challenge. If the chi is flowing, then the blood is flowing, then the lymph is flowing, then everything is working in in an integrated and coherent way. And as I said before, when, when this is what's happening, we just feel like us. I just feel like myself. I don't feel like I have a heart pumping or a liver making chemicals or, or my stomach digesting. I don't feel any of that. It's just happening. It's just me. And that's the way it should be. That's the way we should feel. And that's the way we can feel. So acupuncture, by sticking needles or other devices, you can use your fingers, you can use, mag people use magnets, they use lasers, they use all kinds of devices to stimulate, to activate the chi at these points on the 14 meridians. And by doing so, influence the function of these networks of function within the body that organize everything, everything about being alive. And so, as we said earlier, life is about flow. When things are flowing and circulating, you have life. When things stop flowing and stop circulating, you don't have life. So if you want to be alive and you want to stay alive as long as you can and still feel like yourself, you need to keep the chi moving. So that's, that's the principle of acupuncture is to uh, stimulate or activate these channels 
this other circulatory communication network that seems to be even more fundamental to how are alive and, and maintain being alive even more fundamentally even than the circulatory system, the lymphatic system, the nervous system. Yeah, that was perfect. Thank you so much. I want to end just by asking you lastly, what would be your, I mean, you've given already, you've shared so much wisdom and given some great advice, but what would be like your top three recommendations for people that are feeling, you know, I mean, I know we kind of already talked about a few just related to movement and diet, but would those be your top recommendations kind of living in harmony with nature and making sure you have movement or what would your kind of parting words of wisdom be for people that are on a healing journey right now? (laughs) Well, this may sound funny, but it's actually profound. My good friend, colleague, who's a pediatrician, and also an acupuncturist. He says that the, for children, for child development, he said the three base, there are three fundamental basics of, of life and growth, sleeping, eating, and pooping. This is true throughout life. If you can sleep, if you can eat and digest your food, if you can eliminate regularly and on a, on a rhythmic basis, you're going to be healthy. So. And in Chinese medicine, well, I don't want to be too complicated about it, but this, this again, has to do with with the concept of rhythm. Sleeping, eating, and pooping are all dependent upon certain rhythms within the body and within, within the world. So sleeping well depends on how you regulate your your activity according to night and day. Eating, of course, digestion is very much going to be influenced by not just by what you eat, by how and when you eat. So this is one of the things that I stress a lot with people that it's not about the diet. It's not about, you know, this is the good food, this is the bad food, eat this, don't eat that. It's more about how you do it, like my my patient, who I said, you know, take 10 minutes so you can eat, right? And when, you know, the timing, the timing of things is so important. Uh, And then, you know, when you're sleeping and eating well, you're going to be pooping, because that's just natural. That's spontaneous. What comes in goes out, right? You breathe in, you breathe out. That's, that's, That's the nature of being alive. Things come in and things go out. So we're that's we're 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 information processing beings. Information might be food, it might be emotions, it might be thoughts, it might who knows, it could be anything. Comes in, we digest it, we incorporate it or not, reject it, and it, it comes out. You don't want to keep things that that you don't like or don't feel good to you. So uh, and when you're when you're eating, sleeping, and pooping in this rhythmic, cyclical way, which is what we're designed, evolutionarily speaking, to do, then it's just natural. It's just things happen of their own accord. You don't have to force force them. Anyway, so that's, that's my final thought, is that um, the final lesson that I think is so important 
And by the way, there's a great book that I think everybody should read. It's not a big book. Uh, it's called When, W-H-E-N. Oh, I haven't and, heard of that. Yeah, When. It's called, I think the subtitle is The Art of Perfect Timing. And it's a book that's all about how we're affected by cycles, by rhythms, whether it's the day-night rhythm or seasonal rhythms. It's really, really interesting. And um, it fits right in with Chinese medicine. Ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order it today. Yeah. So there's two books that we're recommending everybody read, which is When, and then obviously Between Heaven and Earth. Yeah. It's really my favorite book um, related to Chinese medicine. And just for people that want, are looking for a new understanding of, you know, in their life or their healing journey. And um, thank you so much for, you're so amazing. And well, thank you, Nika, for inviting yeah. me. Is, oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I've I've been such a fan of your and yours and Harriet's for so long. You guys have done such amazing work and are such an inspiration and created something so incredibly valuable um, in your work and 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 your book. It's really, I mean, your book lit re- honestly has changed my life. I love. It. I go to it often and just, I really do. It's it's so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. So thank you so much for being on today and, and sharing. This is one of my favorite podcasts I've done. And I just really appreciate you sharing all your wisdom and knowledge um, today. And really am so grateful that you were able to join. One of my spiritual teachers would always say, may you be well and all manner of beings be well. That's a, a very timely statement. There's so many crazy things going on in the world right now. So um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. The last thing that I'm going to say, but I love, you know, the one part in your book where you say we are nature and nature is us. And if something hurts one, it hurts all. And that's such a beautiful teaching and something that I think is very applicable with what's going on today in the world, finding peace within ourselves and compassion for other people. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika and I'm wishing you a beautiful day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now for your special offer. For all US-based customers, you can add code URLOVE25. That's U-R-L-O-V-E-2-5 for $25 off your first order at urbanremedy.com. Tell your friends and family and always remember, food is healing.